look at all these kids all here for candy canes. Now, I went into Canada for like the first time in my life a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and I brought back some Canadian candy canes. I don't know if they're any good, but these are the Canadian brand candy canes. And uh, look at all these kids we got on stage. Don't they look wonderful? All right. Um, can I get one of you awesome people in the front row to help pass out candy canes? That would be wonderful. All right. Thank you. Um, so... It's so good to have you in church here today with us, and I want to read to you from like one of my favorite Bibles of all time. Have you ever seen this one? It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I'm going to read to you the first story that we read in the Bible, okay? Because today we're going to be talking a lot about Jesus, and in the Bible, the whole Bible is talking about Jesus, even from the very beginning, and we're going to learn about that today in our message time. So can I read to you a story real quick? Is that okay? Or do you just want to sit up here for a while? No, you want me to read your story? Okay, good. All right. Listen to this. This is such a beautiful story. It's called The Story and the Song. Okay? It says this. God wrote, I love you. And he wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he's like, to help us know him, and to make our hearts sing. All right? Look at this beautiful picture, guys. Do you see this? God made everything in the world, and he made it this way so that we can know something about him. The way a kitten chases her tail. Does any, do any of you have a cat at home? All right. Anybody, anybody have a dog at home? Right. Anybody have a horse at home or something like that? Right. Animals are cool. Right. The way red poppies grow wild, neat flowers and plants and the way a dolphin swims. But God put it into words, too. And he wrote it in a book called the Bible. Whoa, way to go. Have you guys ever heard of the Bible before? Yeah, it's God's truth to us. So let me talk to you about the Bible. Look at this cool picture. Look at all these different people that the Bible talks about, okay? It says this. Now, some people think that the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it to show you the way that life works best, but the Bible isn't mainly about you or what you should be doing. It's about God and what He has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, right? Showing you people that you should copy, like be like this person, be like that person. Well, the Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes. Sometimes they make the mistakes on purpose. They get afraid and they run away, and at times they're downright mean. Oh, man, that's not good. So what is the Bible about? Look at this cool picture of a Bible here. All right, look at this cool, that's a no, yeah, it says the story, all right. No, listen, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible, most of all, is a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince 
who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas, that this hero came. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There's lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and has come to rescue them. And it takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, guess what's there? A baby. What baby do you think that might be? Baby Jesus. There you go, right? Every story in the Bible whispers his name. All right? He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you have a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day... But wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. So kids, today... This is what we're kind of, we're celebrating Christmas Day today, but it's also New Year's Day today too. Did you know that? Did you stay up really late last night? I did, and that's why I'm so tired today, All right? So this is a whole new year for you to start reading your Bible again from the very beginning, and this is a great book. This is a great Bible. If you don't have one, let me know, and I'll even buy you one because it's a really good one, all right? But listen, every story in this Bible whispers the name of Jesus. And during our message time today, we're going to see that as I tell you guys another story about a young prince, all right, a young person that had a cup, and then he had a cup later on. And we're going to be talking about cups a lot today. Kind of a weird thing to talk about on Christmas Day, New Year's Day. But I want you to listen carefully about how every story whispers the name of Jesus. So thank you so much for being up here today. You guys can go back and find your moms and dads or the people that take care of you, all right? Wonderful. What is this egg for? Well, this is a good question, Jariah. Why don't you go back to your seat and I'll tell you guys. I also have a big prize here, and that's going to be for somebody else. What I need for you guys is I need... Three people from junior high, all right? Three junior hires. Can you help me out? Anybody in junior high that wants to be part of a game? Yes, go ahead and come on up here. All right, go ahead and have a seat in that chair right over there. Anybody else? Anybody brave enough? Yes. Okay, we got two more. Perfect. Go ahead and come on up. All right. Oh, my goodness, there's four of you. Oh, no. It was so close. Here, you know what I'm going to do for you? Candy cane. It's not... It's not just a candy cane, it's a Canadian candy cane. There you go, if that makes any difference at all, right? All right, so I'm so sorry. All right, so you guys can go have a seat, okay? And on your chair, there is a clipboard and there's some papers on it. And you guys are going to be part of a game show, and the game is called Fill in the Blank, all right? So we're going to keep tabs on who can fill in the most blanks regarding these Christmas songs, Okay. So take out that yellow piece of paper, and what we're going to do is you're going to fill in the blank to this song. Ready? Song number one is, Grandma Got Ran Over by a Blank. All right? Don't look at the neighbor next to you. Grandma Got Ran Over by a Blank. All right? 
And uh, what do we got here? Let's see. What's your first answer? Grandma got run over by a? Reindeer. Reindeer. Is he right? Yeah. What do you say? Grandma got run over by a? Reindeer. Very good. And Grandma got run over by a reindeer. And look, he even drew a picture of it. Oh, my goodness. Picture of a dead grandma. There you go. Merry Christmas. Right? Right. All right. All right. Here we go. Next round. Okay. Take out the next piece of paper. Next piece of paper. It should be like that purple one there. Okay. So far it's one to one to one. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mommy and daddy are blank. Mommy and daddy are blank. Fill in the blank. Don't cheat, all right? Mommy and daddy are blank. This should be interesting to see what happens in the households of all you people out there with your kids on stage. I'm getting nothing for Christmas. Mommy and daddy are blank, all right? You want to start first? He's writing down a word, okay? What'd you write? Mommy and daddy are mean, all right? (laughs) Grandies, come on, man. That's, That's... we know, right? Mommy and Daddy are... Reuben, do you got one? Okay, he's blank. Mommy and Daddy are... He doesn't know what they are, all right? Blank. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy are... Mommy and Daddy are what? Oh, waiting for school to start. Right, yeah. <laughs> the correct answer is mad, right? The correct answer is mad. So no point, no point, no point, all right? Mommy and Daddy are waiting for school to start because they're mean, right? All right. Song three. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings we bring to you and your blank. To you and your blank. Who are you bringing those good tidings to? All right. Good tidings we bring to you and your friends, friends, okay, to you and your kin, to you and your Jesus, all right? (laughs) (laughs) He said it's always the right answer, right? (laughs) What is the correct answer to you and your kin? Very good. Reuben was the only one with a point there. Takes a lead, all right? Next one. Next one. Go ahead and go to that green piece of paper there. And uh, here we go. Listen up. Giddy up. Giddy up. Giddy up. Let's go. Let's look at the blank, all right? Let's look at the blank, all right? Let's look at the blank. And what do you say? Let's look at the snow, Let's look at the show. Let's look at the show. Or no, snow, snow, snow. Okay. What is the correct answer? Let's look at the show. Yes. So we got a point. Who, who got the point there? Yeah, Ruben. Oh, my goodness, Ruben. You know your holiday music here. All right. Ruben with a commanding lead, Okay. Song number five, we've got three more to go. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. Jingle bell rhyme in jingle bell time. Snowin' and blowin' 
and bushels of blank. Bushels of blank. All right. What do we have bushels of in our Jingle Bell Rock song? Starting with you, Tatum. Bushels of what? Bushels of fun. Bushels of... Are you rewriting this? It's blank. (laughs) Bushels of Jesus is what he wrote down. All right. (laughs) And bushels of fun. Okay. What is the answer? Bushels of fun. Yeah. Bushels of fun. Okay. Reuben, they're catching up to you, man. All right. It's two, two, and three. Okay. Last two songs. The mood is right. The spirit's up. We're here tonight, and that's enough. Simply having a wonderful blank. Simply having a wonderful blank. All right? What are we simply having a wonderful of? All right. And you got it written down? Everybody got a light? Or got, a, uh, got it written? Okay. All right. Simply having a wonderful life. All right. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Simply having a wonderful Christmas. And the answer is Christmas time. Okay, Tatum, we're just going to give you a half point for that one. All right. So a half point for Tatum. Okay, I think at this point we have a clear winner. Um, and uh, but we're going to go with the last. We're going to go with the last one. Okay. Last one. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of blank. Have a cup of blank. All right. What do we want to have a cup of in order to have a holly jolly Christmas? All right. I hear some rumbling out there. All right. All right. Let's see. Let's see what happens in the households in this. Yeah. Right. Have a cup of cheer, cheer, beer. beer, yes, I knew it, I knew it, I knew we'd get someone to say it, what's the correct answer, cheer, very good, oh my goodness, that's right, all right, everybody, we got a clear winner, it is Ruben, There you go. You guys can go ahead and have a seat, all right? Let's give it up for all of our contestants up here. Wonderful job. Man, I baited them into that one. I've been waiting for weeks to deliver that, so that was good. Oh, my goodness. Uh, To be honest, it's funny. I met with somebody probably about a month ago, uh, and I had lunch with them, and I said, you know, it's so hard knowing that Christmas Day it was going to be a Sunday, and you know you're going to talk about, you know, Christmas-related things, but what angle are you going to preach from, you know, because it's, you've, you've heard the story so often, and I really didn't know exactly what to do with the message time today, and over the last few, few weeks, I felt like every time I turned on the radio, all I heard was that song, Holly Jolly, right? Have a holly jolly Christmas, and I've kept saying, like, you know, hey, hey, Google, you know, turn on holly jolly. For some reason, it was just on my mind. And uh, it was the only thing that kept parading across my mind, and I decided to embrace the idea to see if there's any uniquely Christian Christmas message that we could make out of the song. So this is one of those biblical theological sermons where we're going to take an idea, and we're going to try to discern 
its ultimate meaning in the fulfillment of Jesus. So we actually don't need to look much further than just the first few lines of the song to get our jumping off point. This is the lyrics to the song, right? Okay. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Cheer, people. Cheer, all right? <laughs> the question is, I kept thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, you know, what's in that cup that results in cheer, you know? Is it eggnog? Is it coffee? Is it chai tea, right? Is it one of those Christmas cookie lattes from Woods? Have you had one of those yet? Oh my goodness, those are good. Mold wine, southern comfort. What is it, right? What, what is in that cup that results in cheer? Well, the song actually doesn't say, but maybe it really doesn't matter what's in the cup. Maybe all that matters is that you're actually raising up a cup and toasting to something and clicking a cup next to you in a cheerful toast of the season. And so this is just how my mind works. I'm like, what are we going to talk about on Christmas? And I was like, kept thinking about cups. And I thought about preparing a Christmas message. And I thought about the Bible. I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing to do a biblical theological sermon on the usage of cups in the Bible? Wouldn't that be fascinating? And everybody's like, no, right? And I'm like, well, I wanted to kind of tease that thought out. And what I found is that the Bible actually has a lot of stories that utilize cups in an extremely significant way. And so I'm going to keep the sermon time really, really short. But trust me, there's actually a really long message here that I could preach. But here's the shortened one. This is a very condensed survey of the use of cups in the Bible. And this is just what everyone was expecting out of a Christmas message, right? So we want to start in Genesis and we want to end in Revelation, and we want to be floored by the cup that's in between those two stories. So buckle up and get ready to clink to the King of Kings at the end of this message as we move into a time of communion. So starting in Genesis, I want to tell you the story about the cupbearer, the baker, and the king. Many of you know the story, and if you don't, here's a quick summary for you. The scene actually opens up in Genesis chapter 40 with Joseph in prison after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife about something. And he's not the only one in prison. Accompanying him was Pharaoh's cupbearer and the baker because they had offended the king in some way as well. They were in prison as well. And while in prison, the cupbearer and the baker both have dreams, but they didn't know what they meant. And Joseph said, well... All the interpretation belongs to God, so if you just tell me, Joseph, your dream, I'll ask God, and then I, Joseph, will tell you and explain to you the meaning of those dreams. And so it sounded like a plan. They're stuck in prison. What else are we going to do? They go for it, and they tell Joseph these dreams, and Joseph indicates that the cupbearer's dream revealed that he would be restored to his position within three days which is exactly what happened. Joseph then asked the cupbearer to remember him, to put in a good word to Pharaoh for him. And the cupbearer remembering Joseph, get this, was the means of Joseph's salvation. It doesn't matter if this cupbearer forgets about Joseph, even if Joseph is able to give him the right dream. Everything was set in place for Joseph to be set free only if he was remembered. Well, you know the story. The cupbearer forgets Joseph 
and Joseph remains in prison for two more years. But then, after two years, he's remembered by the cupbearer, and that starts the process of Joseph getting his freedom. So that's a very condensed, summarized version edition of the story. But I want you to think with me for a moment about the thief that was dying next to Jesus on the cross. What does he want Jesus to do for him? You remember? He says, "What Jesus, will you please what? Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus do? Jesus reassures him that he most certainly will. And he says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Where the cupbearer in Genesis initially failed but then came through, we see the same thing happening with Jesus apparently. When Jesus, as the greater cupbearer, died, that death looked like an initial failure. People were mocking him. People were jeering him. But his death wasn't a failure. It was actually the way to ultimate victory. And so I think we're meant to see something more than what's on the surface of Genesis 40. And it all centers around a cupbearer and a baker. So this is a message about cups, but let's think for a moment about the baker in that story. It'd be fun to think about the baker for just a moment. What do bakers make? What do they bake? What's their number one product probably? A baker makes what? Bread, right? Their number one product is bread. So you've got a cupbearer and somebody who's got bread in his hands. Do you know how often bread is referred to in the Gospels? A lot. Like 62 times. Give us this day our daily bread. Miracles of multiplied bread. Jesus breaking bread with his disciples in the upper room. Jesus saying that he's the true bread that came down from heaven. So in the Genesis account, get this, we have a cupbearer who held the key to Joseph's salvation and a chief baker, a person with bread in his hands who was killed. It doesn't take a theological genius to connect some serious dots that will lead to the ultimate fulfillment in Jesus at the Last Supper. What did I tell the kids? Every story, what? Whispers his name. So that's the first story about a cup. And it only takes four more chapters in the book of Genesis to read about another cup. It's actually the silver cup that's placed in Benjamin's bag. We're not going to trace the whole story out. But it's more than just interesting that four chapters later in Genesis, Joseph is holding a cup in his hands. A cup that will be the means for the salvation of his ultimate family. But the cup is not in Joseph's hand for long, because what does he do? The silver cup is unknowingly placed in Benjamin, his brother's bag, after they had come down to Egypt, begging their undercover brother for bread. You can't make this stuff up. This is amazing. Don't you know the story? It's Genesis 44. Joseph is testing his brothers, who have not recognized him yet, by returning their money in each person's sack of grain that they had purchased. And in Benjamin's sack, he places his special silver cup. And after the brothers leave for home, Joseph then sends somebody to track them down to confront them about the theft of the cup. The cup that was unknowingly placed in Benjamin's bag was the means by which they would be ushered back into the presence of their brother who could provide them with the bread that they needed to be saved from starvation. 
The cup that was placed in Benjamin's bag initiated the means of salvation. Once again, it doesn't take many brain cells to connect the dots from Joseph to Jesus, from the brothers to us, in our need of forgiveness. And there's actually a lot more things that we could trace out in this story. But I want to make our way to Revelation with one stop in Jeremiah first, because we see in Jeremiah a cup that's being poured out in Revelation. And what we see in Jeremiah is a cup of wrath. Now that sounds a little terrifying to me. You know, if I'd ask you, you know, if I had a cup, and to pull it out, I'm like, hey, what, what's your drink today? Well, I'm, I'm starting things off with wrath right now. I'm starting things off with wrath tonight. A cup of wrath, that doesn't sound very good. Look at what Jeremiah says. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. He said to me, take from my hand, Jeremiah, take this cup from my hand, this cup of the wine of wrath, and then make all the nations drink, right? Take it to all the nations to whom I send you. Drink it. Like, here, here's the wrath from my hand, and now you go out and you go serve the people my wrath. This is intense. Take this cup from my hand. God is the bartender in this scene, and his world is the tavern, and the inhabitants of the world are belly up to the bar while he's serving up cups filled with the wine of his wrath. Who wants another round? Doesn't sound good to me. Like, man, I didn't think I'd hear that on a Christmas message on New Year's Day, right? So many odd things. And we see this foreshadowed in Jeremiah, and then we actually see it talked about again in Revelation when we read about the righteous judgment of God being poured out on anyone who's in the bar that's had one too many. Look at Revelation 16, verse 19. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. God's judgment will be poured out on all those who deserve to have it poured out on them. We will drain the cup. That means every single last thing that we have done against God will be weighed out and appropriately analyzed and then appropriately judged with equity by the one who is all-seeing, all-knowing, and perfectly just. The wages of sin is death, not just a lump of coal in your stocking on Christmas morning. That is not good. So we learn a lot about cups in the Bible. And I would say, you know, that cup, the cup of wrath, you know, I'd rather not drink that one that doesn't sound like a cup of cheer to me. And you might say, well, I don't really want to drink it either. And you and I are not the only ones because guess what? Jesus didn't want to drink from it either. The cup of wrath was the cup that Jesus begged his father to remove from him in Gethsemane. That we read about it in Matthew chapter 26. And going a little further he fell on his face and he prayed saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup of your judgment, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus knew the contents of the cup and that he would have to drain it down to the dregs and that it would kill him, but he did it so that you and I wouldn't have to. 
And instead of Jesus passing the cup of God's wrath onto us and making us drink what we deserve to drink, he gathered his first disciples around a table in the upper room and he gathers us here today and he offers us instead a cup of blessing. Instead of the cup of wrath, this has become a cup of blessing. In Matthew 26, Jesus says this, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Because of the willingness of Jesus, because of the willingness of God to forgive us, through the sacrifice of the one and only Son, the cup that is being offered to you and I today is one that is filled not with wrath, but with blessings. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, this cup of blessing, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? We are blessed because Christ was cursed. So as we move into a time of communion this morning, we must all choose whether or not we believe what Jesus is offering us. This is either a cup of wrath or this is a cup of blessing that is being offered to you. By drinking the contents of this cup, you will either drink judgment on yourself because you are a religious hypocrite and the symbolism of what's in this cup means nothing to you, or you will raise this cup up high and you will greatly and gratefully drink from the contents of this cup of blessing as we toast to the King of Kings longing for the day that we will see him face to face and sit around a table with him and enjoy all the full benefits of this meal when his kingdom comes in its fullness. It's your choice. But as for me, Psalm 16 verse 5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and he's my cup. Psalm 23 verse 5 says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. And so along with the psalmist in Psalm 116, verse 13, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. And I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. And I would invite you to do the same with me. Let's pray. Lord, as we move into this time of communion, and we start to see just these amazing things that we see centered around this idea of cup in the Bible. The cup was what initiated the process of salvation for Joseph. The cup was what initiated the process of salvation for Joseph's brothers. And the cup is the instrument that has been offered to us that initiates the process of us being saved as well. By drinking the contents of this cup and recognizing its symbolism that there was somebody before us that drank the cup of God's wrath that we deserve to drink. And this has been turned into a cup of blessing for us now. God, I pray that as we drink this, that we would all be amazed by your offer, your extreme offer of grace to us in this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.